0: Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, of a very special guest, returning guest. He goes by Visigoth, you might know him as Visigoth, operating from beyond the grassy knoll, one of his many shows, uh, also known as Keith. But we're going to talk about a 13-part series that he did, 13 episodes about the death of Abraham Lincoln. And we're going to title this one, Who Ordered the Hit? On Honest Dave. I've listened to two of the 13, so I'll be putting those up on serialized form on my podcast, but uh, we're going to kind of just go and over, do an overview and talk about what the history books say that, honestly, hey, what happened to uh, Abraham Lincoln and what really happened, and it's interesting because I was listening to the first one, and at the same time that Keith was doing his research, he he referenced a book, Dark Union. But at that same time, Dave McGowan was working on something like that. He did a twelve-part series, and you can see it up on on YouTube if you're watching on YouTube. The title of uh, McGowan's was "Why Everything You Think You Know About the Lincoln Assassination Is Wrong." I haven't read his stuff, but uh, you know, like much of history, and, and Keith talks about this too. A lot of we get a superficial government view of history, but Keith can talk more about that. So, Keith, welcome back to the show.
1: Yeah, you keep inviting me, I'll keep
0: coming. I know. Well, there you go. It's easy. It works. Um, I can rely on you to show up. Some people don't. So it's always (laughs) nice. You don't cancel. You don't ever cancel or like reschedule. So that's nice. Makes it easy. Um, So maybe people who haven't heard our earlier shows or not know much about you. I have 600 episodes of yours that I'm going to put in the show notes. Uh, People can see those. Those are up on Spreaker. People are listening to those still. But uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about your background, what got you interested in the assassination of Abraham Lincoln.
1: Somebody gifted me, a listener did, uh, with the book Dark Union by two professors out of uh, Indiana State University. It was Ray F and Leonard Gutteridge. And I thought they did such a good job and they had enough footnotes. And I mean, I, I'm sure you're like this, but if, if you've got a book that's interesting and also full of references and end notes and stuff, and and you can follow them down. Um, it really makes for a compelling uh, argument for a particular conspiracy theory. Um, you know, I got I got involved with that just because, you know. The book was, I had read the book and it was just bugging me that it didn't do anything. And this is 10 years ago. And I just, I just wanted to do it because I knew my time was short, more or less, um, with regard to podcasting or whatever. And I I just wanted to do it. I had spent so much time and I bought uh, other supportive material that the book referenced, like Civil War magazine from 1961, um, just a lot of great stuff, and I don't know. You tell me. You get involved with some very heavy material, but have you gotten involved in anything where it's like you know the old story about the onion, um, where it actually becomes a life of its own that you you kind of are part of it or one of
0: the. I'm part of it, but not be part of it. Absolutely, yes. So
1: that's why I did it um, and you know everybody wants to believe that Davy Crockett didn't die at the Alamo and that Butch Cassidy didn't die in South America uh, and, and so on and so forth you want it to be a happy ending and maybe Butch made it back because the Hollywood ending which was an, a good movie but uh, if, if that were real that scene Butch wasn't getting out of South America, at least not standing up. So, um, but with this one, with Booth, hearing that what? Booth didn't die in Garrett's farm? I'm like, okay. And so, I, I, you know, I read the book and it was well referenced. And I went to the references and books back as far as 1860s. Uh, not so much about the assassination, but about the, the things that were happening in the Buchanan uh, era that would lead to what was handed to Abe in uh, in 1861. I mean, he had to prosecute the war. There's no two ways about it. Buchanan kind of sloughed off it and dumped it in his lap. And, and he knew what he had to do. And one of the things about Abraham Lincoln is that, you know, a lot of people said, no, he was not a Christian. He was a Rosicrucian, whatever that means. Um, but he and he knew what he was getting into. When you're a president, you know what the story is. There's no two ways about it. And I the one thing I kind of respect him for above all things is that it seemed to me in 1863. After the Gettysburg Address, I don't think he had the stomach for prosecuting the war any longer and uh, did everything he could to expedite its finish. That pissed off a lot of people in his party. Uh, in, the, in the Democratic Party, uh, amongst the military people. I mean, that was one of the things that I think signed his uh, death warrant. So um, I can't I, I, just to say one thing too, sadly, the information I got as background was on the Indiana State University Library in a special collection called the Neff-Gutrich Collection. Now I've gone there several times, probably didn't go there in the last two years. I went back recently because of this and they took down the collection, which is, I mean, I, I was just so crestfallen because the stories that some of these characters talked about, I mentioned Andrew Potter, who was a member of the National Detective Police, that was the forerunner of the FBI. Um, and also Michael O'Loughlin, who supposedly died in the, in the Dry Tortugas at Fort Jefferson, who in fact was freed on a deal made by the NDP. And uh, and he became uh, a new person called John Henry Stevenson. And his account of meeting up with Isola, the alleged wife of John Wilkes Booth, um, And it's actually the stuff of adventure movies where where they both get together in Baltimore when he's released and they go across Northern Virginia and Maryland in a blinding snowstorm and they get to Harper's Ferry, which is where Isola also lived. She had a place in Baltimore. She had a place at Harper's Ferry, which was Booth's Farm.
0: Booth lived there too. Booth was there at Harper's Ferry for John... uh what was it, John Brown, when John Brown invaded, right? Or he was there Booth when he was, was arrested. There. Yeah, Booth was Booth. there and was there when he was put to death, I think, as well. Sorry.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, this guy's like, you know, dog manure, he's everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, anyway, they go on a uh, mission to get this gold uh, to Isola because she's going to meet up with Booth in San Francisco. So that's jumping quite a bit ahead. But still, um, what's lost is, is Stevenson's account and also Potter's account, and it's a real shame. And uh, you know, they offered to give me stuff piece by piece, but I, I said it's all right. You know, I, I wanted the body of work, and I got used to always going there. And why they take it down, I don't know. I just don't understand that. But anyway, that that's that's the case. So where do you want to
0: go from here? Well, I mean, the, the conventional story is John Wilkes. Uh... Abraham Lincoln is at Ford's Theater in D.C. watching a play and John Wilkes Booth jumps in. But it was a cons- obviously a conspiracy because there were other conspirators They were supposed to kill Seward and also Johnson. Right. So those ones failed. Seward survived. Seward's tale. His life is really something else, too. Yes. yes, yes. Yeah. The William Morgan case. He was involved in that. And he uh, uh, he was actually a brilliant guy. I mean, amazing. Like Seward's yes. folly was not a folly. It was really one of the most brilliant purchases, if not the most brilliant purchase in all of the U.S. history, but um, Alaska, but uh, Seward and Johnson were supposed to be shot. So we know it was a conspiracy. It's obviously a conspiracy. The real question is how deep it goes and the fact that John Wilkes Booth survived. I mean, that's not that's not what's your conventional history, right?
1: No, not at all. And I can understand why people, upon hearing this, would say, uh, you know, forget it. And you'd have to get into it to understand it. Um, and then there's no real, real problem with this. What they fell upon, Nathan Guthridge, was just a treasure trove of documents, dispositions, uh, correspondence. And it's priceless. And, I, you know, it's just a gut punch that it's gone. I mean, for myself, I could refresh myself uh, by going back to the site so, I actually had to listen to my own shows for
0: 13 of them. Well, this is a copy of Dark Union. It is on Internet Archive. So, you can find the book. You can't find the archive. It is on? Yeah, this is uh, on uh, Internet Archive. This is the book right here. Dark okay, Union. Secret Web
1: of What's, the it? What's it? Archive.org. Is that a different site than what you're referring
0: to? I'm saying that the book that you're talking about, referencing Dark Union, the secret web of profiteers, politicians, and booth conspirators that led to Lincoln's death, is available online at archive.org. Oh, kidding. It is. All right. That's great,
1: then. That's really all anybody needs if they want to look into this further. But um, uh, Booth, they were having a, they, they had kidnap plots being hatched there were four of them at least booth was up in montreal where which was kind of like some kind of dmz where the confederate and the union heads would meet and businessmen would meet out of the united states they met there was
0: kind of a neutral or even a casablanca if you will right yeah it's like casablanca during the civil war it really is right yeah there was all kinds of slaves being moved up there there was all it was just uh, a lot of intriguing stuff sorry
1: well, one of the things that Booth was involved with was his pork for cotton deal. Now, I've never seen anybody reference that in any book, even going back to the ones I read from the 60s, 1860s and 1870s. No one says a thing about this, but clearly it happened and Lincoln sanctioned it. The problem being is this. The the North laid waste to so much of Southern farms and and um, and cattle. Um but they needed me. Now, the North wanted the cotton because they didn't want Brit- they didn't want the Confederacy to go to Britain and, and run them for the, uh, the processing. I mean, the South being as rural as it is a bucolic, I mean, it didn't have factories and such. So what they did was they made a deal with the South, the North didn't, say, look, we'll give you pork if you give us the cotton, and they'll take care of the processing of the cotton. That is the, the North, because the Brits had notified the North and said, listen, we're, we're using this cheap cotton crap that we get from India, and it's not working out. So you either get this thing settled, or we'll come over and work things out. And, and this is interesting, too, because Britain and France became allies for the Crimean War, first time they ever fought together. And they put a spanking on the Russians. Well, that was felt, and it wasn't forgotten. So with the United States, or I should say the the, the Northern uh, states, in a little bit of trouble around mid-war, the Tsar, I think it was Alexander, offered to send his Atlantic fleet to New York, and it went down as far as, I think, Norfolk, and send the Pacific fleet to San Francisco. Now, this was supposed to be to block Uh, well the black blockade runners but that wasn't all it that was Russia saying to Britain you want to go again we're willing to go because Russia knew they had a better navy than the Brits and they were afraid of the upcoming spring which would have been 62 that the Brits might set upon their fleet and, and and just uh I, I figure with the words like uh, scutter,
0: so, <laughs> destroy it, lay it to waste, eh, just destroy lay it. The it. bottom just, of the sea, scuttle it. That's it.
1: That's the word, and scuttle it so they could never get out into the open waters. But in the open waters, the Russians were very confident about their navy. So frankly, they went over to the United States and said, "Make my day, all right." And the Brits got the message. And one of the reasons why Seward. Uh, got involved with that deal to buy Alaska and for $7 million was because he was saying thanks in a sense for the Russian show show of support. And I think we might have talked at other times about how almost hilarious it is that the Brits were in New York. I mean, I'm sorry, that the Russians were in New York. They had like a a ticker tape parade for them. And and it's almost like the the headlines were the Russians are here, the Russians are here. right? Not coming. So that's a really, you never hear about that either. Um, I remember rumors of it and it was, it was a long time and with the growth of the internet that I actually could find that, that, you know, more information about it. And there is a book called Lincoln and the Russians and that's on archive.org also. So here you go, I mean, you you have this situation happening and a whole tie-in to two other, or actually three other countries because the Brits were in Canada and the French were in Mexico, so right. so
0: it's King Maximilian, or was it? What was he? Was yeah,
1: it? yeah. Uh, Napoleon III sent um, Maximilian over uh, to, to control. Well, to, to, to um, oversee the uh, the French army, who was trying to grab back the land that that Juarez had grabbed back from the government and the church, which stole all the land from the peasants. So, and, and in effect... This also gets involved with the person that was killed in Garrett's barn, and that was James William Boyd. You know, kind of creepy that you've got John Wilkes Booth, and now we have James William Boyd. So it was Boyd who wanted to get down to Mexico to join in with the huaristas. And it was on his way that he was caught and he was killed in the barn, or he may have shot himself. They say that Boston Corbett did, but I think that's that. No, nah, I don't think so. He, he didn't mind taking the bows for it, but I, I don't know that he did or not. So, you know, so Boyd was involved with this, and that all became possible because he was a Confederate officer who got captured and he made a deal with Stanton, Edwin Stanton, Secretary of War. And he said he'd flip if only he could be allowed to visit his wife and seven children, and his wife was dying. So Stanton said, yeah, okay. So Stanton knew of Boyd also, and he knew of Booth, and he knew that they were at least up to a kidnapping plot. I don't know that Stanton was overseeing a murder plot, um, but kidnapping was supposed to be the name of the game. And the question is, when did Booth decide to kill Lincoln? Where was it that he changed his mind? They had so many failed kidnap plots that were actually put, I mean, there's a section in the audios, William, where uh, they tried like three to five times and something always happened. And I'll apologize for this now, but with how comical it was, I slipped in some drop-ins from Martin,
0: Who's the Python? Oh, Monty Python's Flying Circus. Yeah. Monty oh, yeah. Python's Run Away, Run Away, Run Away. Right. So they just yeah. they were trying to get him; they just couldn't pull it off. They no, were hapless, man. hapless. You know, almost co- like Keystone Cop uh, conspirators.
1: It, exactly, and and the the plot that Booth wanted to do, what happened was, he would whatever that was, um, he uh, split away. Booth did from the Montreal meetings because they were tired of him. They were saying that, you know, all he does is for show. He never really do, does anything. So they gave it to Boyd to do. And that pissed off Booth. Oh,
0: so, and they were both kind of lookalikes too, right? I mean, literally, like, you would have to be very astute to tell them apart. Same height, same look, same curly hair. Weird, really weird.
1: And the other thing was, and David Harold is the one that is thought to be uh, involved in so much of this stuff. And honestly, I think he was a poor sap. Um, He wasn't even in um, D.C. by the time of the play on April 15th. He was in Maryland getting drunk where they found him the next morning, Saturday morning, a patrol went out. And what they did is they handcuffed him and they brought him in to be photographed because, you know, photography was a new thing at the time and they wanted to photograph all the suspects and such. That's why you see the picture of him manacled. But it was after that, that he got involved with Boyd. The reason why he's manacled was because that's how they took him in, but they let him go. And then when the patrols went over looking for, you know, Confederate sympathizers, they grabbed Harold and they made Harold go to other places where he knew they might be. And he brought him to Boyd's place. Now Boyd, by this time knows that with the assassination of Lincoln, the night before the kidnapping thing is obviously non-existent, and he better get his butt out of there and down to Mexico and start a new life. So, on that night, and I was going to tell you, the uh, the plot that Booth hatched for himself, not for the uh, Port for Cotton people, can you imagine this? It was to tie up Lincoln. And lower him to the stage, and then carry him off the
0: stage, and put him in a carriage. (laughs) Lincoln was a big boy too. Like he was—I don't know if he was still as virile as he was, but he was like a known had almost near superhuman physical strength. Supposedly, he had hands the size of a you know a cement block. They said he Uh, could he could take like a sledgehammer and hold it up to his side and just sit there as long as people watched. They just couldn't even believe it. Like, he could, it, his arms wouldn't get tired. I think he won, like, these wrestling contests over and over and over. Like, nobody could beat him. Amazing. Yeah.
1: That's why they call him Illinois strong, you know? But I, I, can you imagine Lincoln? And, 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 of course, there was Rathbone in the in the box also. But the time that it would take to wrap up Lincoln like a, like a yeah, cheap, I, soup, yeah, cheap yeah, suitcase sure. and drop him down. So uh, I don't know, but what did happen was this. They had two uh, ships out in um, two bodies of water. One was the uh, uh, Patuxent River and the other was uh, Namjoy Creek. And these ships were waiting for Lincoln and the conspirators to be taken out of DC. Nobody showed up, they left. And then Booth gets out of DC he knows the password and the countersign. They let him go. Then it was Edward, Edward Hansen that went about 10 minutes later, did the same thing. And so the two go off and there's a conversation between the centuries there. And they're like, we never had to do anything with passwords. And he goes, what's going on tonight? So anyway, that was not Harold that went out with Booth. It was Hanson. Harold was already gone and Boyd, I don't know where he was. But when this all goes down now, they try to go to the ships and they realize they're gone. Now they got to find their way out of Maryland some way. And they finally do get themselves across uh, into Virginia. But what happens is, is that Boyd and Harold go straight south, yes, Port Royal or into Port Royal. But Booth and um, Henson went west along the Rappahannock, past Fredericksburg, and out on this kind of like it was just like an underground pipeline where there would be people that would support any Confederates that were coming through, whether they needed medical treatment, which Booth availed himself of it because of his busted ankle, um, or food or whatever. And that extended all the way into central Virginia. So Booth made the, right, made the right-hand turn, if you will, and escaped, in fact, they were stopped. But the reason why the, the soldiers didn't do anything was that Booth had shaved his mustache at Mud's place when he was seeing him for uh, medical treatment. He had no mustache. So they looked at Booth, uh, his uh, valet uh, Johnson and Henson, and we like, all right, go ahead. So they had him. They were in a, a cart, and they let him go. So they did get checked, but they didn't get caught. However, Boyd and Harold are in the farm. They come down, and all of a sudden, we got the, uh, the burning of the, uh, of the farmhouse. Somebody's shooting him. Some say that Boyd shot himself. But here's what's really interesting about the mustaches. They, they bring, this is according to the New York Tribune, They bring Booth, uh, they bring Boyd rather, excuse me, onto the porch of the Garrett house and he's dying. And there was an illustrator there who did an illustration in lieu of having photography equipment and he he, uh, painted it and Boyd had a mustache. So they think it's Booth, but Booth has no mustache. So when they see that, it's like, well, that can't be Booth because he didn't have a mustache. And on the uh, deathbed, if you will, he said to the soldiers, something to the effect of, you gentlemen have spoiled my fun in Mexico. So now the troops are looking at him like, what? And he thought he was delirious. They thought Booth had you know, gone
0: bonkers. Right. This and is now- Boyd for people who are on YouTube or Rockfin. It looks like John Wilkes Booth. It's the same. <laughs> I mean, it's really crazy. You, I would just like, oh, that's Booth. Sorry.
1: Yeah, so, you know, it was a faithful decision for them to go straight south, but he was heading for Mexico. And Booth, the reason he wanted to go west was because he wanted to get back to Harper's Ferry, but he wanted to go through the back door. So he went to all these stops along the way, Standardsville, Bearclaw Mountain and all this other stuff or cave. And he goes and takes a turn up north and enters Harper's Ferry from the west. So he would be, for the most part, you know, not not uh not seen. Right. Um, and then from there, there's a lot of things that take place, but he had a lot of money up in Montreal and he was trying to free that stuff up. Um, but the plan was to meet Isola in San Francisco, and they would take a brig and go off to India across the Pacific Ocean. Um, this is according to John Henry Stevenson, who stay with Isol until she met with Booth and said, okay, and he, he bid him goodbye. But here's what happens. Months later, she comes into San Francisco, almost dead. She was cut adrift on the Pacific Ocean and left to fend for herself. But nobody knows what happened on the brig. She said that there was a mutiny on the ship because they knew where they were carrying the gold, that they had taken out of Harper's Ferry farm. And that's, and so she said that Booth was dead and the Captain Scott was dead. But neither of, well, at least Booth wasn't dead. So was this a fake? Well, let's face it, the guy was a a thespian. So, I mean, did did they fake this scene and just have the hands, you know, acting as if they were mutineers and put her adrift? But to her luck, at least, she was picked up by another ship bound to San Francisco, and she did get back to the States and recover. And that's when uh, John Henry Stevenson or Michael O'Loughlin hooked up with her and, you know, tended to her as best as he could. And then they both went east. He was in love with her. She wasn't. I mean, for Booth, whatever he was, she was in love with him. And after this episode, she was so drained that she just wanted to, frankly, Get out Don't of here! Get room. Out, Yeah, I think but she. Booth was a womanizer, him.
0: right? Didn't he yeah. have like a wife plus like four or five women all over the place? <laughs>
1: yeah. In I fact, mean, and here's another thing: in that Nef Gutrich collection, there is Will uh, Booth's will that was written in Assam, India, in 1883, uh, I believe it was, and that was the year that he died, and. A copy of it was sent to Indiana. You're gonna wonder why they do that, but however it was, that's where Nathan Guttridge found it. It it had been brought to the United States, the will, but it was and it was probated in the United States, and the beneficiaries of that were three women and their um, children. Mm-hmm. And this where it gets really weird. When U.S. Grant took his worldwide tour, he went through India where Booth was living and Booth's new wife, he called her his mistress and his wife, Elizabeth Burnley, she goes and gets an audience with, with Grant and says, could you please free up the assets that are frozen in the United States for the, for the women and the children that they're rearing? And Grant took it under advisor and said, fine. And who got involved in this also was Lou Wallace, the author of Ben-Hur, who was a general in the Union Army. And uh, and, uh, Wallace took an interest in this. And both Wallace and Grant were instrumental in getting those assets unfrozen. Now, how can you say this whole thing's a scam if you've got it documented like that? So... And then with him, to the very end, was this Edward Henson. Harold, of course, was hung, hanged. Wow. So, wow. I mean... If-
0: Lou Wallace <laughs> oversaw the trials, too. Like, he was involved, heavily involved in the trial. I mean, the trials of conspirators that they found, right?
1: Are you speaking about Harold, or...?
0: Uh, Wallace was the... It says here he was... Oh. Yeah, he served on the Military Commission for the trials of the Lincoln Assassination Conspirators.
1: What's interesting, also, at, at, in that trial, they brought up um, Harold and um, asked him, "Is this the man you saw crossing over the Navy Yard Bridge that uh, that April fifteenth night?" And he he, he couldn't identify him. No, it doesn't look like him because it wasn't him. It was Henson. And both Henson and Harold belonged to a bunch of I don't know privateers or whatever that were smugglers and you know. In port tobacco and those two were involved in it so they knew each other um but the uh, the amount of um, coincidences is kind of uh, staggering really
0: there's just a, it's just really an incredible story have you ever heard the story that uh, booth had brothers and booth's brother saved robert lincoln like from a train accident in 1964 and then like a year later uh, John Wilkes Booth would shoot his dad. You ever heard that?
1: You know, I want to say it sounds familiar, you wouldn't you? Yeah, there's some you kind,
0: would. It's just like weird overlaps of all these guys, you know. Booth well, is always in the ambit of Lincoln. He was at his second inaugural address like a month before he got shot, right? Like Booth is yes. around. Yeah. Well, you,
1: see, the thing is, is, there was also a letter from a Southern uh, businessman by the name of James Barnes, And he wrote it to uh, the mill company, to an R.D. Watson. And in it, he says some interesting things. He says, look, first of all, forget Booth. I mean, he just doesn't do anything. Uh, He also said, and we can't expect the Irish to do anything. All they do is get drunk. And the reference to the Irish were the Fenians. And you've heard of them, right? Mm -hmm. They exist to this day. Well, the Fenians, for some reason, left Ireland and I don't know what being in Canada was supposed to do for their liberation, but they hung out in Canada and they were hassling New York, Vermont, um, uh, towns and stuff, uh, just you know, kind of turning over the furniture and, and making a, 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 a fool of themselves actually. Right. So he said that the Irish aren't any good. He said, so we've got to do something and it's got to be done. They I, I think there were a couple of keynote dates where they had to get this uh, pork for cotton deal done, or there was going to be hundreds of millions of dollars lost in it. That's why they were so pissed at at Lincoln, because he deliberately scotched the uh, pork for cotton deal, which he had once signed off on. So, and there was a comment by Barnes uh, in, in writing to Watson. He said that the people in Liverpool hear that Lincoln is trying to be his own man, and that cannot be allowed, in short, it's it's in the the uh, the audios, and so there you got the Brits involved in this too. Once again, you know, I mean, what's funny, perfidious, about it, perfidious
0: yeah. Albion strikes again, all yeah. over Russia, the U.S., just all. I mean, it's hard to believe, but like listening to your show and this stuff, it's like the U.S. has never been somebody's always meddling with the U.S. Whether it's England or, you know. Um, Today, it's like Israel's got, got its tendrils in it. there's They just busted an Iranian intel group. You know, it's well, just I like,
1: mean, this goes to the people you don't know. The, you, these are the people that aren't elected for office who do everything from behind the curtain. It's true. Yeah. Presidents, all they do is just, I mean, I know we're getting away from this, and I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I don't vote anymore because the presidents don't do anything they're not told to do. But I saw Biden today and I, I, I mean, it was painful. I mean, he's yeah. fifty times worse than than uh, Ronnie was. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, he makes he makes Reagan look lucid. He
1: makes oh, Reagan man. look great. Yeah. No, he's that in was, really bad it shape. It was embarrassing. It really was. So you know, and another thing is, you and I have talked about Zbigniew Brzezinski's book, the the Grand Chessboard, mm-hmm. and in it that warning that was written in '94. That the United States should not agitate an axis of Iran, China, and Russia. And I'm thinking, I read the book in 02, and I'm like, what was going on in 94 that Brze- Brzezinski would be saying that? Well, to tell you the truth, I think, like all those on the evil side, you know, once in a while they'll give a wink to us if we're paying attention. And I'm telling you, what's going on here is not going to go away, because as soon as the United States gets heavily involved, then Russia and China are going to have things to say about backing Iran. And I'm telling you, it may take five or seven years, but this is going to happen, and this is the triggering. And I, I trust Brzezinski for telling the truth on this one. I mean, I just don't understand how everything is Iranian now. All of a said it's Iranian-based, Iranian-based.
0: I don't know. Right, They're drumming up propaganda. They probably want us to join in some attack. Yeah, yeah it's not I mean, good. The situation's terrible. The global situation is real. I've never seen it this bad. We don't really have a leader making like uh, decisive decisions either. It's, well, it's crazy. I,
1: I'll tell it's you crazy. what. Uh, to me, and Alfred McKender in around 1906 or so, 1911, he was like the first geopolitician or whatever. But um, he was the one that talked about the, uh, the heartland. And Brzezinski riffed off his theories and made it the grand chessboard. Um, With Mackinder, it was the pivot land that was important to hold. If, in fact, oh, there you got it.
0: (laughs) All right. Um, Yeah, Sabrina writes for the audio. Brzezinski had larger plans. Those plans are outlined in between two ages. He was not pro-American. He was pro-American while he could exploit it. He's really right. he's, from, he's like a Polish elitist. Well,
1: anyway, Mackinder said that it, in the coming t- days, the last empire would control the landmass between Lisbon and Vladivostok. And the heartland was in the center of that. So there you have that thought, and you're saying, frankly, to the United States, uh, in North America, you're outliers now, because... I mean, Eurasia is huge and you don't need uh, ships to get anywhere. I mean, for the most part, you know, that's why here's where I'm going with this. If there's going to be a war, the United States are in bad shape because they are going to have to go across the same body of water that kept us safe in so many other wars. Right. Because, you know, and so we have to we have to supply material, personnel to, to um, support our troops, and that's a weak link, whereas Ch- China and Russia don't have to even leave the ground. So right. I'm just saying that, you know, looking ahead, but, I mean, it's a time foretold when the United States just ain't going to be all that anymore. Our era is finished. So uh,
0: It's at the end of an empire. It was a good while. Wait till the de-dollarization takes place, and we go bankrupt. We're basically bankrupt. It it's just hasn't hit yet. We're outspending like our our monthly overspend is like a trillion or something like that, right? Like why it's should
1: this not, be any different?
0: <laughs> it's not sustainable, cannot be sustained.
1: So the only thing
0: what the only thing that's
1: stopped is that they just have decided to pull the plug. Who's they? I mean, there's global people who are running this show that want a one world order and they're gonna get it. And they're that you don't know them, they're happy to stay in the shadows. And let all the politicians do their line for them. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, kind
0: of the way. It's, uh, it's kind of sad too because those politicians were all groomed, and they're all the ones put in place to fulfill their plan. That's really it. That's you it. I mean, you can't be.
1: You can't be a good guy, and, and be in, in the office. You can't be. You got to be a scoundrel to be to to be in it. And, I, and that's why I was saying about Lincoln. Lincoln knew what the deal was. He knew what he was going to have to do once he got to be president. And he did it. You know, he did it by sending the troops down to uh, Fort Sumter, coercing the South to get into a fight when they when they fired
0: upon him. So right. he what it didn't he like shut down journalist office and took over the papers and rule but it was like one of the first exemplars of rule by emergency, right? So he did all of kinds of them. yeah. So and you mentioned in those talks, like, you have to kind of be a bastard to be a president. Washington got the same kind of deification. And you said if Lincoln hadn't been shot, he probably would not have gone down in this kind of revered uh, way that he is now, where he's been you know, sanctified.
1: Those are the words him. from William Bernard, who was a National, Detec- National Detective Police member uh, who had been a contract agent. And he's the one that faked his death three years after the end of the war. But he knew where the bodies were buried. And that's one of the reasons why he changed his name um, and created another persona and left for the West Coast because he was being followed all the time. And Lafayette Baker, who was the the chief of the National Detective Police, he was talking about being followed all the time and actually set upon, but not killed. And the the thing is, who's doing this? Who's who's allowing all this to happen? And it's Stanton. I mean, I, that's what I come down to. It's Edward Stanton, who was a son of a bitch. He really was, and he hated Lincoln. Um, and uh, once Lincoln was dead, and Johnson became president, uh, they didn't name. They, they didn't appoint any vice president. I don't know if, if Stanton had his eyes on that. He always wanted to be a Supreme Court justice because he was a lawyer, um, and. Uh, it was interesting because I guess karma is a bitch because he was appointed to the bench but died before he could actually take the seat. <laughs> oh, interesting. But uh, I, I want to get back to one thing if I could about Seward. Okay. And, and that's an interesting story. And, and I went back and forth with, with um, uh, McGowan. About this, because he was he, he questioned everything. Then that's fine. He's saying there had to be two people in there. There were five males, or, well, four males and one female, uh, who was the uh, the daughter uh, to Seward, uh, Fanny, who wrote a diary, which is interesting because she claimed there was nobody else in there except Powell, and that he ran, he went off on his horse alone. They've got people being horseholders for him. Azeroth maybe, um, or uh, I don't know who else they have. As They got almost everybody's, the horse holder for for Powell, but Powell left alone. And he he, he was right in the head at this time. He rides for a mile around, he can't figure out how to get out of DC. So he, he, he slaps his horse off and hides for three days. Then finally goes over to Surratt's house Mary Surratt's house at 11 o'clock or after with a pick on his shoulder and he walks in and there are troops there because they obviously were interviewing Mary Surratt and uh, men and, and a few others and they look at him going what are you doing he's going well I'm going to d- dig a ditch for her tomorrow morning I just wanted to check in and they're like at 11 by like 30 and it's like no nah. So they they put the clamps on him also. Uh, But it's interesting because uh, with the sewer situation, that house was almost haunted because six years earlier, in February of 59, there was a murder in front of the house. Now the sewers weren't there at the time, but it's it's well, I'm not going to say it's comical, but we had a uh, New York congressman by the name of Daniel C- Sickles, who was living off Lafayette Square, where Seward would later live, and he suspected his wife of um, stepping out on him, and she was, you're not going to believe this, with a Philip Barton Key.
0: Does that name mean anything to you? Is that Francis Key's kid or something like that? Oh.
1: Yes, it is. The son who's the Attorney General of Washington D.C. Oh, I mean, wow. can you imagine this? So what happens is he lays kind of like in wait. It was during the daytime, and he was watching a, a Key looking for a signal that it was it was the coast is clear because Sickles was gone. And he came over and he shot him once and missed him. And had him on the ground and shot him and killed him. So (laughs) here's where it gets really good. They're going to go to trial. But in in those days, it wasn't really looked, um, it was taken very seriously when there was adultery. right? And somebody shot somebody because, you know, his wife was boinking somebody else.
0: You used to be able, that was a defense to uh, murder. Was if you're cheating, that was a valid defense. You could kill somebody. And, that's, and so what happens, they go to trial, and guess who one of the lawyers is? Edward Stanton. Wow. <laughs> it's just a crazy, incestuous, like, weird environment. It's These people are intertwined with each other. It's just so, it's that's such a fascinating era, man. And the fact <laughs> that, I mean, was there any proof from India that Booth was in India, other than just, like, the probate stuff or anything like that?
1: As far as I know, I mean, it was the will. But here's another interesting factoid. And that is, and this is interesting as well, remember now, India was a British uh, t- uh, property, territory, whatever. Um, and disgruntled confederates who didn't want to stay any longer in the States, went over and developed a community in India. Wow. So go figure. And I mean, there's some other things i am drawn from that, like with the Knights of the Golden Circle, being involved with the confederates, and that supposedly going back to England. So it wasn't unusual for a Yank to show up, be it from the south or from the north. So that's, that's all I can tell you. He came in through Ceylon and then finally went to uh, India. And the thing is, as he left, there are a lot of stories about all w- where he went, but he always stayed out of the States and every place he went was a
0: British territory. Wow. That's, that should tell you something, right? Like, oh, yeah. And there was, I mean, there was tons of money surrounding him. It wasn't like he had an extra couple thousand bucks. Like, he had, I mean, the numbers you talked about, like gold, 75,000 in gold, and all kinds of stuff, right? He had to bury it. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, there was a Walter Pollock, who was a National Detective Police officer. He's the one that approached uh, O'Lachlan and said, you, You'll get a new identity if you promise to go and locate the cache of gold that Booth has. And he said, okay. And so they let him go. They brought him to New Orleans. They actually gave him some kind of chemical that gave him a jaundiced look. Hmm. And that's what, you know, they, they say he had. He supposedly died of it in the Tortugas, but he didn't. So anyway, he goes up to Baltimore and Pollock is there keeping an eye on him just so he doesn't double cross him. But O'Loughlin now called John Henry Stevenson does double cross him. He gets a hold of Isola privately in Baltimore. They have gone through the snowstorm to go to Harpers Ferry. They loaded up with so much gold, they had to dump some on the way because the, the, the horses couldn't carry it in that kind of weather. And they finally did get whatever they, they could um, take away. And they, and they did go to uh, California. So, you know, um, it's just the
0: story. It's just really incredible. Just incredible. It is. And,
1: and there's so the interesting thing about it is there's so much information available because there were newspapers and I go to that site, as you well know, um, chroniclingamerica.loc.gov. Uh, and it's like I read the digitized versions of the New York Tribune, the Washington Evening Star. And that's where you can get your best stories, because, you know, it's kind of hard to mess around with the very first news stories, even with 9-11. If you were to read the papers on 9-12, you'd find inconsistencies in everybody's story. Right. And um, so then all of a sudden the uh, cleanup crew comes in and takes care of things <laughs> and, and sanitizes stuff. And, right. Clamps it know. down.
0: That story doesn't get told. This one gets told. Right. Yeah, yeah.
1: And so I, I don't know if anybody could catch the fever I caught, but um, it's it really goes deep and there's a lot of stuff to read. And I just want to mention one thing also before we go. There is a story. Uh, there is a book rather written in 1866 by John Smith Dye, D-Y-E. It's Plots and Crimes of the Great Conspiracy to Overthrow Liberty in America on archive.com. Uh, what is it? Dot com. archive.org or all right sorry um that was written in 1866. what's interesting about this is he gives a lot of the backdrop through buchanan's administration with the slaveholder states vying for power warning more and more states to go slave state and it, it, it's a current at that time he really he wrote it contemporaneously so it really is interesting and it's it's uh and right, it's right thing. at
0: that time. Does that look familiar to you? Do you see that on the screen? Nope, no, Benny Den, the, the Secrets of the Great Conspiracy. It's on archive.org as well. Yeah, they got
1: several versions uh, of the book. You know, different publishers. So you this is the 1860. I
0: mean, this is the 1864 version. Says it right there. 64. Yeah.
1: So you must have come out with a second edition. Okay. Two but presidents I
0: mean, secretly assassinated by poison. Wow, I'm not surprised. Well, I mean, they poisoned
1: Buchanan because the slaveholders uh, felt that uh, he double-crossed them, and he did. He was in Pennsylvania, and he was basically sucking up to him. And then in the end, he pulled the carpet out from under him. So they went ahead and tried to assassinate him, and they they got him very sick, but they didn't kill him. But you nowhere do you ever find the assassination attempt on Buchanan. So, right. Yeah, there was there was rat poison in the water supply. Okay. How come now, How come only
0: Northerners got it? Right, good point. Yeah, something else happened, right? I mean, it's just the—I mean—the levels of intrigue and backstabbing and frontstabbing just are all over the Civil War. It's just something else.
1: And here's a, a, another one, real quick. This Walter Pollock, who was the one that met O'Loughlin down in the prison Fort Jefferson, the one that was watching him in Baltimore. Pollock winds up going over to Lafayette Baker, who's the head of the National Detective Police. And he goes over with oysters and beer. And a day or so later, Baker gets sick. Okay, no problem. But he continues to come over. I don't know how frequently, but continually. And he's also eyeballing his wife. (laughs) So, So eventually, Baker does die. And I don't think uh, uh, Pollock made off with the wife. She supposedly got remarried and went out to San Francisco and died in the San Francisco earthquake.
0: Wow. Wow. I guess that was the way to get away and start new. Back Even back then was to go out to San Francisco, right? Well, like to go
1: west. There. Yeah. I mean, that was the last frontier. And yeah. what's also funny is that this whole bit about Seward buying Alaska, Alaska wanted to dump it because they didn't think they could defend it against the British. What? Well, the problem is that the Brits were still very much in control up in Canada. They were until like 31. They had their independence in uh, 67, I think. But they also, the Brits also raced out to make sure they got, they made provinces out of like Saskatchewan and Alberta uh, because they were afraid of the United States with its expansion moves having eyes on going into. Western Canada and excising
0: that, you know, we're a... Right. That would make sense. I mean, it makes sense. The U S has taken so much land elsewhere, Mexico. So why not take Canada? I mean, it's still not a very powerful country. I think they're still under the thumb of the King. I think, uh, the Privy council, you know, that Justin Trudeau's on the Privy council. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. That's it. So he's like talking with, uh, King Charles, the third. So these guys are tight. I mean, it's crazy to think, that it's not that crazy, but that the English throne is still making geopolitical decisions, credible geopolitical decisions.
1: Well, the thing is, are they
0: or are they the front? The king is the front. I don't feel like the king is. the. I think the king is the one pulling the strings behind the WEF and all that stuff. The WHO. I think that he's I think he's still doing it. I think that that have you ever seen Justin Trudeau make his loyalty oath to the queen? no oh yeah it's terrible he's like oh yeah the queen her majesty the greatest queen of all time i declare my eternal fealty to her from body you know just like this recitement i'll send it to you it's really
1: but they won't let her into the city of london unless she asks nice
0: Well, that tells you well that may be it maybe that maybe that's it maybe it is the the world controllers the money guys but anyway it's i mean just the two episodes that I watched of you of your or listened of yours are really good. So I recommend people check those out. I'm gonna put this up as an intro and then the first two and then just go from there and, and uh, hopefully people will enjoy it. So thanks yeah, a lot. I hope you enjoy out. it.
1: Um, I know I did, but we'll it's see. It's great work.
0: Oh. It's great work. I mean, there's just more to that story. It's just not a simple story of a like uh the guy walking in and shooting him so much backstory and oh, about back, you know front story really what happened after is like
1: well one of the things front. that cracked me up about McGowan uh, in reading the work that he did, he was he was questioning whether a Derringer could do the job um, on Lincoln. But that derringer was was carrying a 44 load. A 44 load is a 44 load, and if it hits you, it'll ruin your day. So, I mean, it's a Derringer, but it isn't a sissy gun. It's got, you know, I guess two barrels, and they were 44 loads. So, I mean, that definitely could do the job. I'm surprised it didn't come out the other side of his head. But.
0: Good point. Yeah, I used to actually, when I was in D.C., I worked right next to the building where Lincoln was carried. He was carried out of the Ford Theater, carried across the street and put in somebody's residential, you know. The Anderson House. Anderson House, right. So, I actually worked right by there. It's totally different now. It's really incredible. It's uh, DC went through an upgrade, but back in the day when I worked over there, it was a bit sketchy. It's kind of <laughs> sketchy by Ford's Theater. It's not anymore.
1: Well, um, anyway,
0: anything you'd like to add before we wrap it up? We're we're at the fifty-five minute mark.
1: Uh, no, not really. I mean, I I was all over the place, but there's just so many places to go that it's kind of hard to just get them. You know, all ducks in a row. But I think if it just whets people's appetite, um, they can find out more. I'm just so sorry that the net Garbage Collection is taken down. That's just a gut punch. But anyway,
0: it's too bad. I wonder why? Why would they do it? Usually, those are just static things people can go in and research. It's very odd. Maybe it ruffled too many feathers or something. who knows. Well, the one thing,
1: uh, the one thing I learned about in the library it, it, with the gatekeepers, if you will, you know, those who throw out and those who, uh, you know, uh, buy up. Uh, uh, they do things sometimes for their own personal interests. And that to me is wrong. You know, if you're going to excise a, um, a book from the collection, then at least you should have, at least I think you should have more than just one because you get the head of the library coming in and, uh, you know, he'll do this or she'll do this. And I just think that it may have happened in this case also because they didn't like it because it was conspiracy.
0: Right, yeah, it's weird. Like I think a lot of that the people are so sensitive about information that these they don't have the broader like long term view towards certain stuff. Like somebody may find going, something different in there. It's, it's a shame. We're devolving
1: into into uh, fascism. Yeah, yeah. You know, for, uh, with all good intentions, of course. But of, that's course. It I mean, of course. I mean, freedom of expression. Are you kidding me? You say something out of line, if somebody doesn't like it, man. And the first thing you do is is censored. You, know, yeah, no, I mean, you
0: you go for the throat now. You go after their job. You uh, dox them. Reputational destruction. You go, I mean, this is cold-blooded. You go for everything. Censorship is the tip of the iceberg. If you're only censored, you're in good shape these days, man. It's rough. It's tough out there. Uh, those are tough years. The Civil War is a very interesting time. Anyway, Keith, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it.
1: I appreciate it also and to the people also who sent messages.
0: Yeah, there's some good ones. Check the notes on uh, – there's one. Richard. So I last McGowan said no one checked the Major's gun to see if it had been shot. I do know for Booth to get the knife into his arm, they had to be super close at the time of the shot. What do you think about that?
1: Well, that whole place was compact. I mean, that makes sense. You know, so, I mean – yeah. Anyway, I, I'm just reading the same. But McGowan said no one checked the major's gun. Oh, okay. To see if it had been shot. Meaning. Um, somebody else shot Lincoln, too. Is that what you're
0: saying? I don't know if that's what Richard's should say. Um, one of the interesting things that's kind of mystifying to me is how they how Booth even got close to Lincoln. Like, it's a major, like. A well, was a breakdown, that. too.
1: The cop was called off, I mean, or, or took a hike. I mean, there was a, nobody knows how many people were involved in this right, and how much that's... might have been dumb luck, right? So, so that, does that make the military a part of the murder? Uh, if you're talking about this, this Lincoln, yes, because what happened was there were so many people making money off that pork for cotton deal, and uh, Lafayette Baker had laid it out what he thought were the number of people from all walks of life that were involved, but certainly. The military was involved, and so with politicians. So, you know, it's always about the money.
0: Yeah, yeah. They have the nineteenth nineteenth <laughs> century military industrial complex. That's funny.
1: All right, um,
0: all right. Thanks, thanks, Keith. Appreciate thanks, it. this is kind of stuff. I'm going to put links to his archive too on this as well. So, thanks so much. Stay there. Stay there.